Over the past few years, I have asked you guys to give me a rating and review. And if you've done that, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. It's so helpful. But if you haven't, I get it. I kind of get it. Like, I'm asking you to go and click on this thing and then like, how do I do it? And then I have to come up with some kind of a review and I don't know what to say and I'll do it later, right? I, I get it. I've, I've kind of been there before. I, I know exactly how you feel. And so I'm not asking you to do that now, okay? What I'm asking you to do now is so easy. Anybody can do it and it literally takes like one second. Go into whatever you're listening to, whether it's Apple Podcast or Spotify or whatever platform you're listening on, they all have it, and just click on the subscribe button. Just subscribe. It takes one second. You don't have to be creative. You don't have to come up with a review and write it all out and you know be self-conscious about it. Just hit that subscribe button. That would be so, so, so impactful for me. And if you're enjoying this and getting a lot out of it, that would mean the world to me. It really would. And it's so easy. Anyone can do it. Like, let's literally stop listening right now. Stop listening. Go and do it. That's how much it means to me. Nobody ever asks you to leave their show and stop listening for anything. But I'm asking you to stop listening right now. Go and just quickly subscribe. Come right back and take a listen. That would mean the world to me. I would really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. And I really appreciate it. Thanks. Okay, this is why, guys, I tell you logging on live and asking questions is great because my first question is, what kind of real estate do you want to do here? Are we talking about apartment buildings? Are we talking about single family homes that you want to buy as a landlord and hold on to? Are we talking about flips? What do we what do we want to do? Ultimately, what kind of business do you want? You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for joining me on Just Our Real Estate. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate your time. I've got a fun replay for you today. We had a lot of cool topics brought up and uh, among them, we're dealing with lazy partners. What do you do if your partner just doesn't have the same kind of work ethic that you do? How do you get out of that situation or how do you fix it? We talked about that. We talked about investing a line of credit. If you have, in this case, somebody had a quarter, uh, three quarters of a million dollars line of credit, 750K, and they wanted to know what I thought they should do with that to really maximize it and build wealth. So we talked about that. We talked about knowing when to hire property management. Do you hire them day one? Do you hire them after 10 rentals? Do you hire them after 20 rentals? Like When, when do you do that? And uh, we also had a question come in live about <clears throat> finding motivated sellers in this competitive market. It's very competitive. We all know that. Uh, but this person was wondering, not only what do we do if we can't find motivated sellers, but is this even the right market to get involved? Would I get involved in this market uh, with what I know now? Would I dive in right now? And I had a very emphatic answer for that. And you should tune in for it. I think a lot of people are wondering exactly the same thing. Is this the time for me to get started in real estate? Is it just too crazy competitive? Are prices too high? Like, what do I do? And uh, I have some thoughts on that. So that's the things, some of the things that we covered in this episode, and I'm excited to bring it to you. So I will give it to you without wasting any more of your time. All right, we're here. We're back. We're logging into all of our social medias. Uh, I'm trying to log in. I want Instagram to be part of this, but Instagram is difficult to play with, uh, but it's it's logging me in right now. So hopefully I'll be live on Instagram in a minute. Uh, but for those of you who are here watching live, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Very cool. If you're watching this or listening to this on, on replay or watching it on replay, uh, thank you for being here for that. 
you should be here live if you can, because you can interact and ask me questions directly. Um, but but if you're not, that's fine too, obviously, right? Whatever we can do, we can do. Uh, you can get the benefit of it by listening into a replay, which is totally fine. Um, but I am here every Wednesday at 7 o'clock Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, and we talk about real estate. I answer your real estate questions. Uh, if you have them, you can email the questions to me. Uh, you can send me a DM and I'll get those incorporated as well. Or you can show up here live and ask questions like we're doing now, which is uh, probably the most preferred way to do it because you could have that direct interaction. And if I have to ask you a follow-up question, we can do that. And uh, it's probably the most interactive and uh, best way to do it. Um, so that's what we do. Uh, also, guys, I have created something for you uh, in the past uh, in the recent past, I had a program uh, called Seven Figure Investor, and it was designed to help take you from doing just a few deals a week or a month or a year, whatever you were at currently, and help you scale up to seven figures. And that's still something that you can participate in. But in the meantime, I realized not everybody has the funds to pay for a course. And I get that, right? But you still need certain help. You need certain things to get you going. And so I've created a course for probably the biggest problem that people have. Honestly, if I could just name one single thing that I get questions about more than anything else by far, it's deal flow. It's finding deals. And for a lot of people, they want to know how to do direct marketing better, more effectively, and get their deals that way. Because I've said it before a million times, I'll say it again. Uh, I have done over 700 deals in the last seven years. And direct mail is responsible for the vast majority of those. And I'm doing some other marketing stuff now that's bringing in a lot more deals than in the past. But I would say of those 700 deals, probably 550 of them were direct mail at this point. So huge source of of lead flow for me and deal flow it's i've made millions of dollars off direct mail and more importantly i've spent over a million dollars trying to figure out and trying different things within the direct mail world and i i have learned a lot obviously when you spend a million dollars on something uh 35 cents a t at a at a at a time right it's hard to get up to a million dollars spending money when you're only spending 35 cents a time at a time but i did and so i learned a lot and and i put all of that learning all of those lessons learned all of the best practices the exact card that i've used that's made me the most money i've been the most successful packaged it all into a very small but a very powerful video course called Winning Direct Mail. And if you go to my website, mikesimmons.com forward slash Winning Direct Mail, you can get access to that for absolutely free. It's on the screen now. If you're watching this, you can look. Uh, otherwise, if you're listening to this, again, that's my name, mikesimmons.com forward slash Winning Direct Mail. It's a free video course, no strings attached. You don't owe me anything. You don't have to do anything afterward. You can watch it at your own pace. You can watch it all in one day and just dive in and, and do it. Or you can watch it, like I said, at your own pace over time. Uh, it's not super long, but it's comprehensive. I cover everything from A to Z in my direct mail um, marketing. And so you can just plug and play exactly what I did. 
it's all actionable stuff. It's not theory. It's exactly what I do with the exact card that I use and how I do it from A to Z. So go and grab that. It's absolutely free, guys. There's just no obligation. There's no risk. There's no reason not to unless you just don't want to know how to use direct mail more effectively. And I promise you, with probably very few exceptions, I have done more of it than you have, and I've learned a ton. And I've made mistakes. I've spent tons of money on direct mail in the past and didn't do it well. And I learned my lesson the hard way by spending money and not getting the results that I wanted. And, and I figured a lot of that out. So uh, we have had tremendous success with direct mail. And you can too. It's a, still, it is a fantastic source of lead flow. And still, of all the investors that I've ever met and that I know now, Still, direct mail is responsible for the vast majority of deals, not just in my business, but in the business of, of others that I know have thriving big businesses and they're doing tons of deals. So go grab that. It's free. Okay, that leads me to tonight. Let's dive in and uh, talk about the questions that we have tonight. And it looks like Instagram's not working. Uh, I realize that. And so we're going to bail from Instagram. Instagram loses out for us tonight. I cannot. Can I get it to work and I cannot handle it while I'm live? So we're going to just bail on Instagram. Okay. Uh, first question that I have here is, let me move that. There we go. My partner is driving me crazy because we have completely different work ethics. I can't afford to buy him out. How can I handle this professionally? <clears throat> well, the first thing you have to do is, well, the first thing you do is is buy my book, uh, Level Jumping, because I have an entire chapter devoted to partnering and partnering effectively and making sure you get the right partner. Um, but it sounds like we're too late for that. We're already down the road. And this person has a partner that is driving them crazy because of the different work ethics. My guess is the partner doesn't have a great work ethic. And the person asking the question does, because the hard worker is always driven crazy by the not so hard worker. It's usually not the other way around. What I would do, what I suggest at this point, because you're already partners, is to have a conversation. And maybe you have, maybe you haven't. It's not clear in, in this question in the way that it's asked whether or not you've had that conversation. But you have to have an intervention and talk to the, your partner and say, listen, um, this is what I'm doing. This is what you're doing. Like, I'm working these hours. You're working less hours. You have to have that conversation. I am all about direct and clear communication. I absolutely hate beating around the bush. I hate hinting about things. I hate passive aggressive actions or words. All of that is garbage, waste of time. It's not helping you. It's not helping them. It's not helping the situation. You need to have a meeting, sit down, cards on the table. This is how I'm feeling and this is why. And if I'm wrong, for some reason, if I'm misjudging you, then please tell me how am I misjudging you and what's happening here? Otherwise, I'm judging you fairly and we have a problem here because, you know, I can't work this much harder than you, whatever that quantifiable amount is. I can't I can't continue to do that in this partnership. It's not working for me. And you have to have that conversation and they'll either take it well and say, you're right, you working, you're working a lot harder than me. Let's figure out either how I can improve or how we can move forward from here and maybe separate somehow and, and not be partners. Or they're going to freak out and say, you're wrong and you're completely unreasonable and, and maybe accuse you of not being a hard worker. Like it could get ugly, obviously. People don't like being challenged or confronted. I get that. But you really owe it to you. You owe it to him or her who's your partner. <laughs> and if you guys have employees, you owe it to them. And so 
that's number one. Have the conversation and see if there's a way to work through this that is agreeable to everybody and addresses your concerns about work ethic and how much it sounds like you're working more than them. And uh, also makes them feel like, you know, it's all fair to them, too, and that they're being heard. And if they don't think they're being lazy, then you can maybe explain to them how they are or they can defend themselves, whatever it is. Right. Have that conversation, like have that summit sit down and and iron it out right countries leaders of countries kings and queens have had to sit down and figure things out that are way more serious than what you're talking about so for god's sakes you know i talk about this a lot my wife and i talk about this a lot some of us all of us probably know couples or you know people who have family members or whatever and and you, they tell you about something going on in their life and you say, well, how does your husband feel about that? How does your wife feel about that? How does your girlfriend feel about that? How does your boyfriend feel about that? And their response is, I don't know, not sure what they think about it. And it blows my mind how you can be in a relationship with someone and not know how they feel about something huge and something that is of great concern to you. You don't know how they feel about it. It's just, it's crazy because there's a lot of people who don't have direct conversations. They guess, they imply, they give clues, they hint around about what they think or what they want to talk about. I'm a huge fan of just throwing it out, just bluntly just putting it on the table. I don't have time or the energy or the inclination to um, hint around about stuff that I really need to know. Uh, I just ask. So I suggest you do the same thing in a professional setting. I think it's 100% professional affair sit him or her down and say, this is what I'm feeling. This is why it can't continue. If I'm wrong, then then show me my, the error of my ways. If I'm right, how do we fix this? And so that's the whole conversation part. If that doesn't work, then you have to split. Now you say you can't afford uh, to buy him out. Can you afford, I don't know what kind of business you have either, right? So there's a lot of unanswered questions. Is this a flipping business and you have 50 flips mid process that you're in the middle of and you've borrowed $30 million and like, is it that kind of a thing? Or are you guys wholesalers and you wholesale three deals a month and you could literally just go and start your own business tomorrow and, and you'd be up and running doing two or three deals a month in no time. And so you don't buy them out. You just leave. Right. If, but if there's assets in the company, right. Or tremendous debt or something that has to be reconciled, that's a, that's a different story. And so you may have to get some, you may have to get a lawyer, an attorney of some kind to help you unwind what is all twisted up and and together, right? You you may have to go that route if that's the only option. And maybe you don't buy them out. Maybe you just you know, but the problem is if you guys have debt together as as partners, he has to agree to let you out, right? You can't just say I want out and walk away and it's all his debt. That's not the way it works. You have to he he would have to agree to that. And he would have to agree to take that on. And maybe you don't, you know, maybe you don't buy him out. Maybe he buys you out or you just walk away because your mental health and your sanity is more important because you say he's driving you crazy. Your mental health is more important than maybe walking away from a business that you got, you know, that you started a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, six months ago. I don't know, right? There's a lot of a lot of details that I would have to sift through to give you a complete answer. But you either talk to him and agree on some sort of a, you know, they call him a pip in the, in the, um, 
in the corporate world, a performance improvement plan, <laughs> you know, maybe you don't call it a pit, but you have to figure out how to get him back on track or on the same track as you, or you have to figure out how to unwind the business and maybe you walk away. Maybe you don't buy him out. Maybe he buys you out, like I said, or you just walk away. That's just it, right? But you got to get out. If you want to get out, you, you need to get out because life is short and you don't want to be driven crazy by someone and pulling their weight, right? And uh, I don't know if you have employees, maybe the employees see it and they see you as the person who's absolutely responsible for the success of the business. And he is not, your partner is not. And so if you said, I'm going to walk away, who knows, maybe the employees follow you and they, you know, they want to work with you because they see where, you know, the actual work is getting done. So it may not be so bad. You may not have to buy him out. And again, when you say you have, you know, you can't buy them out, it leads me to believe you have a big business. That's something that's thriving with, you know, a lot of uh, value. And if that's the case, it's a little bit different. It's a little tougher, but you still have to figure it out, right? You have to have that conversation first. You may be surprised. Maybe you talk to this person and they say, you know what? You're right. I've been feeling a little guilty about it. I have not been pulling my weight. Like I want to make it better. I, I, you know, I love, I value this partnership and, and I'm going to do what it takes. Maybe that's what happens. You might be surprised, but I would try to talk first. Next step, unwind things, get, get yourself out, extract yourself, whether, no matter how you do that. Okay. Uh, let's see. Next question, please. I'm going to grab a drink here. Okay. I'm looking for advice slash strategies on how to use a 750K line of credit. I'd like to utilize this money effectively to purchase real estate and build more wealth. Okay, this is why guys, I tell you logging on live and asking questions is great because my first question is what kind of real estate do you wanna do here? Are we talking about apartment buildings? Are we talking about single family homes that you wanna buy as a landlord and hold on to? Are we talking about flips? What do we, what do we wanna do? Ultimately, what kind of business do you want? Now. The question is, or, or the statement here is, I'd like to utilize this money effectively to purchase real estate and build more wealth. So I'm going to go on the assumption that you are a buy and hold investor, because that's sort of how it sounds when the way you ask that question. And, you know, 750K is a lot of money and it can go really, really far or it can go not so far. Because if you're going to pay cash and you're going to buy, single family homes in California that might buy you a home. Maybe maybe buys you two, but probably not. So that that would not be the most effective way to use it in my opinion. But what I would do, and depending on how fast you want to go, that'd be my second question. Like what is the ultimate goal here? To have a hundred single family homes, to have one apartment building? Like what are you really trying to do? But what you can do with with a line of credit like that is you can either use it as like uh, a, um, you can use it as the down payment if you're going to go, like, say, buy single family homes and you need to come up with 20%. That 750K can be used for the 20% down plus renovations or the 20% down plus, you know, if, if you need renovate, you know, if you, if you can't borrow the renovation money. So, like, a hard money loan might be okay in this situation. You put your money down, whatever skin of the game you have to put in, and then maybe even use your money for the renovation, then cash out refi with the bank. Um, you know, you could buy it for cash. You could, if you just want to like burr strategy, this thing and, and go like slow and steady, you could buy a house for 7k or maybe buy two or three, depending on where you live in the country and how much houses cost. You could buy them, renovate them, 
refi out of it, get all your money back, go and repeat. Like that's the easy way for sure. If you want to go faster than that, then maybe you go and buy five or six houses. And that 750K is like your gap funding. You go buy the property, renovate it, get it rented, burr out, right? So it's a, it's the same idea, but instead of going one at a time or two at a time, you could go four or five or six at a time because you have a huge amount of money for down payment. If you're just doing gap funding, whatever like a hard money lender won't give you, which is usually 15 to 20%, you're gonna have to come in out of pocket for the purchase price. You could use the money for that. Um, Another way to use that money to help build wealth is to um, participate in syndications like apartment buildings, right? Maybe you go in as a general partner or even a limited partner and you put up a hundred thousand, a couple hundred thousand, maybe even fifty thousand, and you're just getting um you're getting um paid monthly or quarterly, however they distribute it, you're getting a distribution on a regular basis for being, let's just say a limited partner. And then there's usually some sort of a kicker at the end of the deal where you're going to get a lump sum. You're going to get your money back in five years, plus you know a bunch of interest that you get when they sell the property. So that's a great way of completely passively, hands off, building wealth. And then there's some syndications where you can get involved. And they, their goal is not to sell, um, to sell the property. Their goal is to refinance it. So in that case, sometimes you can find investors who are buying. Um, uh, an apartment building, for example, and you put in a couple hundred thousand dollars, you get an interest, like a preferred distribution every month, every quarter. And then at the end of the deal in five years, three to five years, they refinance it, give you your money back, and you get to stay in the deal. You get to stay as one of the limited partners in that apartment complex. And so you're building up that equity, you have the tax benefits from that, and you have your money back so you can go rinse and repeat. That is a fantastic way to very passively build wealth, invest your money and grow that money and grow your wealth. So that's super passive. A little bit more active is going out and finding properties, using that money as down payment or gap funding, getting it renovated, rented, refinance out in a traditional loan with a bank or a mortgage company or whatever, refinance out, take all your money, go and rinse and repeat that, right? If you pay all cash, Maybe you do it one at a time or two at a time. If you don't use all cash and you do go out and get that hard money, that 750K might get you six, eight, 10 houses that you can do that with. And then you refinance them all out, get all your money back. And you can go pretty fast with that kind of money. You can go pretty fast using the Burr method doing that. So that's what I would suggest with 750K line of credit. That's probably the best way to go about it. And the other way is just be a hard, just be a hard money lender yourself. I don't know if that's building wealth so much, it's more transactional. You loan out that money, you charge a rate of return, maybe it's 12%, 14%, whatever. Short-term loans, six-month loans to a, like a rehabber, and they're paying you that money and you can use the money that way. I don't know that's the way you build necessarily wealth with that kind of money. I think it's going to take a lot more money than that to build tremendous wealth, being a hard money lender. But that's a good way to create an income for yourself for sure. And, and over time that can become substantial. So those are the three ways I would probably say you could do it. The first two is way preferable though, to the lending out uh, of the money. So that would be my suggestion with 750 K. All right, let's jump to the next question. All right. Sorry. If you can hear my water, I apologize. 
All right, next question. What are the best ways to analyze a property deal if I'm looking to build a rental portfolio via house hacking? Best way to analyze a property deal. Um, you're going to analyze it the same way you would if you were going to buy a rental. Just I don't think there's any real difference except um, you have to account for the fact that you're not going to be getting rent. If, if you're buying a single family home and you're house hacking, you're not getting rent for the first, whatever, six months, whatever it takes you to actually renovate the house. You're not getting income, but you're also not, um, what you're paying, you're, you're not getting rent, I guess it's somewhere to live. So it's sort of like, you know, if it's a duplex, the great thing is you, you, the other person's paying your mortgage basically, or they're paying the, the cost of living there. If it's single family, you've got to pay on that loan, assuming that you got a loan to get the house, you got to pay on that. So that's a, cost, I guess, that you could throw into your analysis. But at the end of the day, you're looking at what this thing will rent for once it's renovated. You need to find the money to get it renovated and then get it renovated. You're going to move out, presumably, and then get it rented. So it's almost like the only difference is you're living there. You have living costs, whether you live in the house or not, right? So living there is nice because you're paying down the loan or the mortgage or whatever you got on that property while you're doing the work. And then when it's time to move out because the work is done, you throw a renter in there, it becomes uh, income producing. It's not income producing while you're like house hacking. That's for single family home. But a lot of people, when they talk about house hacking, a lot of times they're talking about buying like a duplex or a triplex or something like that, where they're living there let's just say it's a triplex, you got the other two units rented, you're working on renovating the, the unit that you're in, but you're not paying anything to live there because the two people that are already there are paying the loan, like they're paying whatever it costs to have that property. <clears throat> so you fix the one unit, either rent that out, and then when somebody else's lease is up, move into one of the other units, or just kind of talk to the people that are already living in the other two units and say, listen, I'm going to be fixing up this unit. When I'm done, if you want, you can move into that unit and it'll be this rent, whatever the rent's going to be. And then you move into their own unit and rinse and repeat, right? Fix it up, renovate it, and then move the person and the third unit into the second unit you just fixed up. You go into the last unit, get it fixed up, and then rent that one out. And then you move out. Now you've got three fully rented, fully renovated units. And you kind of just move around the triplex and keep moving into the ones that don't uh, that haven't been renovated, getting those renovated and then moving out. So that's a lot of times what house hacking is. You're moving into like a small multifamily, fixing up one and just sort of like renting it out and going to the next one that needs to be fixed up. If it's a single family home, you're just, you're living there all year, you're, or, or for however long you're fixing it up, moving somebody in, it becomes income producing. So, but you, you really analyze it the same way. You look at market rents, you have to determine what you think the maintenance costs will be. And hopefully really small, if you're getting it renovated, like while you're living there, you're hopefully doing a good job. So maintenance will be small, but you still have to count something. Maybe it's 5%, 10% vacancies. It's pretty safe to say one month out of the year, you're going to be vacant, but maybe not. It depends, right? If you get a long-term lease or something, maybe you feel comfortable saying one month every two years, it'll be vacant. But whatever it is, you have to account for rents, maintenance, um, vacancies, and then obviously taxes and insurance. All the stuff that you normally would be looking at with any other rental. It's the same way. The difference is if it's a small multifamily, you don't have really living expenses because it's being paid for by the other units. If it's a single family home, 
you would have rent, you would have living expenses like a rent anyway or a mortgage. You're just paying that mortgage into your rental or into your investment property. And so it makes a lot more sense because you know, rather than like having a your own house that you pay on and then having this rental unit that you're fixing up and you're still paying the mortgage, you know, for that rental unit, if you just move into it, you kind of consolidate your costs a little bit, make it more affordable. And presumably, you don't have to hurry because normally when you buy a house and you're going to rent it out, you want to get that thing renovated like now. Like you want to do it in a couple of weeks or a month or six weeks at the most. Like you want to get in and out of that thing fast because it's just sitting there, not, not making you money. Well, when you live there, it's a little different. It's your home. And so you don't have to necessarily be in such a hurry. And that's why house hacking makes sense because some people can't have a mortgage of a place where they live and then also be approved for a mortgage for a rental property. It doesn't always work. And so if you just move into that rental property, that can make a lot of sense. And so that's what I would do as far as, you know, analyzing it. It's the same as analyzing any rental really. Okay. Let's move. Let's move to the next one here. Next question. We currently own 20 doors and are acquiring 15 more. Good deal. Congratulations. We have been self-managing for the past five years, but are wondering what number of doors makes sense to hire a property management company. Wow. That's a definitely a depends question. I would say you're well, well past the point where I would hire a property management company. At 20 doors, I for sure would have a property management company. But it's because I don't want to be managing properties, even my own. I don't want to have to manage them. I don't like that. It's a huge distraction for me. It's a huge time suck. Um, but if you only do rentals, like you don't have nine to five jobs, uh, and you said we, I'm assuming it's like husband and wife maybe, but whatever, you're a couple, it sounds like. Um, if you are, if you're only, if that's your only thing you do, like for work is manage your rentals, then 20 doors is probably very doable. Probably 35 door, doors is doable, but just because something can be done, it doesn't mean it should be done. I personally think that managing your own rentals, especially when you get past like five or six or 10 for sure, you're at 20, you're going at 35. At that point, yeah, maybe you can do it, but why would you? You have the the cash flow that justifies, hopefully, if you're buying these right, that justifies paying someone, you know, whatever it's going to cost you. A lot of times it's 10%, you know, 8 to 10% of the rental income is goes to the property manager. And I think that can be well worth it, especially when you start having little maintenance issues and vacancies and you have to go show the property, you have to run background checks and you have to get the leases and um, you have to deal with the city ordinances and making sure that they're compliant and you're getting your rental licenses and all that, like all that stuff that management companies do. I think they earn their money. They easily earn their money. So for me, 20 doors, you're easily, easily, you have twice as many doors as it would take me to get a rental uh, management company. Um, I don't have rentals anymore. But if I did, I would have a management company probably day one, like my first one or two rentals, I would give them over to a management company. And, and the reason I would do that, or the reason I can do that is when I evaluate, because we just talked about in the last question, evaluating, um, when you're evaluating a rental, uh, I put in there the cost of management. Like that's part of my structure and how I look at a rental, whether or not it makes sense for me, is I count in property management. That's just part of the numbers, right? Vacancies, maintenance, 
taxes, insurance, and management. It's in there for me. It's a base number. And that's what I, that's what I determine whether or not I'm going to uh, hire a, a management company. But I think day one, I value my time beyond what I pay my management company. I don't think they're making, you know, 200, $500,000 an hour. They're making far less than that. So I say have somebody else do that and you focus on raising money, focus on finding more rentals, if that's what your goal is or whatever it is, just I would rather spend time with my family by far than manage a rental and be answering questions about toilets and, you know, leaky faucets. Like I, I would rather be with my kids. So that's me. But and I'm that's not a judgment. I'm not trying to be sarcastic or snarky. I'm just saying I think property management companies are well worth the money and I do it day one. So at 35 properties, do it now. Am I, if you're even asking, I think doing it now is, is probably the best thing for you. So, um, let's do that. Uh, okay. Next question. We got a live, we got a live one here, guys. Okay. Um, Hey Corby. All right. Considering today's market and competition with wholesalers, flippers, et cetera, I'm challenged to find a motivated seller. Do you see this cha uh, changing at all? And if not, uh, would you get into knowing what you know? Holy crap, uh, Corby. That's a great question. Um, it's it's certainly a different environment than it was five years ago. But I don't think... It's certainly not impossible to find motivated sellers. I can tell you that for sure. And I, I'm going to answer your last question first. Um, uh, you have two questions at the end here. Yes, I do see it changing. And here's why. If you look back at real estate and the history of real estate and the real estate market and the cycles it goes through, it's never stayed exactly the same ever. And it, and it won't. It just can't. There's too many outside factors and influences that make the market change. And so, yeah, I see the market changing and, and swinging away from being such a seller's market. I do. I We're not going to crash like 08. I just don't believe that we're going to do that. There's nothing that would indicate we're going to crash like that. And I have the luxury of talking to a lot of really, really smart and informed and connected and very intelligent people on my podcast. Um, I just spoke to the uh, the director of like statistics and market analysis for Bigger Pockets, And even he said, Number one, you know, all things change. Okay. And there will be a correction in the market. It probably won't be dramatic, but it'll be something. And so, yeah, it's going to change. But the last thing that you said really is probably the biggest point I want to make. Would I get into knowing what I know now? Absolutely, yes. And I can't say that more emphatically. I would shout it from the mountaintops. You absolutely, if you want to be in real estate, if you want to be an investor, do not let the market stop you. Okay. There's a book out there called Who Moved My Cheese? And it's a very good book. It's short read. You can read it in an afternoon, no problem. But I would get that and read it because the premise is things will always change, but you just have to change with them. And so I know people that have been in real estate since the early 2000s, like 2000, 2001. And it was a different market then. It was a very much more a seller's market then. Things were appreciating like crazy. And they were in it then. They were in it in 08, 09, 2010, where they crashed. They're in it now still. And they've been very profitable, very successful the entire time. It's because they know where we are in the market <clears throat> and they adjust their approach accordingly. Now, as far as... Um, there is a lot of competition. There was competition five years ago. It's not like we have 
it's I don't think we have more competition. We just have sellers that really have very high opinions of what they can sell their house for now because uh, the media is telling them and the market's telling them, frankly, that they can sell their house for way more than they could five years ago. But here's the deal. As a wholesaler, as a house flipper, as a landlord, whatever, we don't buy, generally speaking, we don't buy houses from people who have all the time in the world to sell, no real great reason to sell, and they want to get the most money they can for their house. We've never bought from those folks because back five years ago, even 10 years ago, those people put their house on the MLS. We don't buy it. The people that we buy houses from generally as um, real estate investors, and there's a million reasons, but some of the highlights, some of the main ones that I've seen over the last seven to 10 years is people who are have deferred maintenance. Their house is in bad shape, right? It's a crappy dumpster fire of a house in the condition wise. They have a divorce, they have a death, they have a job loss, job transfer, downsizing, whatever, right? There's all um, uh, code violations, tax delinquents, all these things, all these life situations happen to people and it causes them to want to and to need to sell their house to an investor like us. Because as a wholesaler, as a flipper, we don't buy houses at full market value. We just don't. We can't. There's no money to be made in that for the most part. You know, if you're a house a flipper or a wholesaler, there's no money to be made in that. And so we always buy houses at a discount. Five years ago, 10 years ago, we couldn't buy a house at a discount if I talked to a seller who has nothing but time. They're in no rush. There's no real reason for them to sell and they want to get top dollar if they do sell. Right? We're never going to buy from those folks. We're not, we didn't buy from them then. We're not going to buy from them now. But if somebody has just experienced a death, divorce, job loss, job transfer, deferred maintenance, whatever, all those things, they still need to sell their house at a discount because they're in a hurry or the house is in just really, really bad shape and it won't sell on the MLS. We're still buying houses in my business. Nothing has changed. There are people I know that started their business, started their business in the last two years, and they've grown it over the last two years in this market. Okay, so finding motivated sellers is always going to be a, a topic of conversation. And I said at the top of this Q and A, uh, one way to do it, and one way that I know to be successful for a fact because I've I've lived it and I've done it is direct mail. And if you go to my site, I don't know if you were on in the beginning, but on my website, I created a five video series on how to do direct mail effectively, how to do it right, all the things I've learned spending a million dollars on direct mail over the last seven years. It's called winning direct mail. It's free. Okay. So this isn't like me going, Hey, go buy my thing. No, this is me saying I spent my time creating videos, walking you through a process that I have proven works and I'm just giving it to you for free. So here you go. Boom. It's a free thing. So go and grab that. Um, Corby, go grab that and, and just watch it because I think Finding direct, uh, finding motivated sellers using direct mail is a great method. It's not the only method. I I find motivated sellers a lot of different ways. And if money is a concern in terms of like the direct mail, the cost of it, like we could always have that conversation about other strategies. But direct mail is one of the most effective, like cause and effect way to find sellers that are motivated that I've ever done ever. Right? There's other ways to do it, but direct mail is like you you send out the mail you get a response immediately, you know whether or not it's working. And so 
I would give that a shot, but just know this for a fact, there are motivated sellers out there really are, right? Some markets are more competitive than others. And maybe it's just a matter of like finding a market that's a little less competitive or a little less crazy if that's where you are. But there are motivated sellers out there. People are still selling their house at a discount because the people that sell to us need to sell their house at a discount. They need to, okay, remember that. And they they need to now, they needed to five years ago and they'll need to in five years. Real estate is, has always been and still is the best way to build wealth in the United States that access, that's accessible to everyone, right? Not everyone can be a doctor. I mean, they can, but you know, at some point the ship has sailed, you're not gonna go be a doctor. Um, some people don't have the knowledge to get into tech and build some tech company like Google or Facebook or, you know, they're not engineers. I can't build Tesla. I get that. But everybody, everybody, man, woman, child. matter of fact, on my podcast, it hasn't gone live yet. I interviewed somebody named Dominique Gunderson. I can't believe I just remember that name. I have a horrible memory. Dominique Gunderson. She bought her first wholesale house at 19. That was only a few years ago. She wholesaled a house at 19. She's 24 and she's going to do 17 flips this year, right? She's not even living. And she she started her business, by the way, her first you know couple dozen deals were in LA. LA. LA is incredibly, incredibly competitive. House prices are super high in California, okay? She did it at 19 and she built her business there. Then she moved to Colorado and started a flipping business in New Orleans. And she's going to do 17 flips this year in New Orleans while she lives in Colorado, right? Tell me, tell me you can't do it. Tell me there's an excuse that you have. 19-year-old girl did it in LA on her own. She knew nobody in real estate. Her family wasn't in real estate. She didn't have friends in real estate. She figured it out. She went for it. She went after it. And she did it. And that's going to go live in a few weeks on my podcast. You should check that out. But I'm just telling you, it's just, there's there's no competitive. It's too competitive. There's nobody selling house. Like, tell her that. She's 19. She did it in LA. And now she's doing it in New Orleans while she doesn't even live there. Right? She built this business now, right now. She just, she just moved to Colorado and started her business in New Orleans like within the last 12 months. So anyways, all right. That's the answer to that question, guys. Uh, we're all done for tonight. Thank you for joining me here. Thank you for being here. If you're here live, uh, Corby, thank you for the question. I appreciate it. If you're here live, thank you for being here. Um, if you're sitting on the sidelines, you're live, but you're sort of like just listening, like flying the wall, jump in and participate. I want to help you with your business, but I can't do that if you don't raise your hand and say, I have a question. So I want to help you with that. Uh, if you're listening to this recorded, thank you for that. Join us live. It's a lot of fun. You should do that. Uh, otherwise, guys, I will see you next week. Go to my website, Winning Direct Mail, MikeSimmons.com forward slash Winning Direct Mail. Go to my website. Check it out. It's free, guys. You can't beat it. So go grab that. I want to help you. I want to see your business grow this year. This is the market to grow. And guess what? In five years, I'll be telling you the same thing. Markets don't have feelings. They're not good or bad. They're not evil or good. They're not. It just is what it is. And you have to move around and figure out how to work within the framework that you're currently in. And it can be done. So go and grab that and, and do it. Make it happen for yourself, guys. We will see you next week. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.